Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 200 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present our gala 200th edition with six guests. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to a special edition of the Kinky Cast. Hey, Beast. Hey, Woody. I can't believe we come to this place. We got to 200. Hey, what did you think of our new theme? Is that something else, huh? I like it. Yeah. Well, it's a little sexy tango there. Ooh, okay. Dance across the floor. So let's dance across the floor with some guests tonight. Uh, oh, it is a collective, isn't it? It's a star-studded cast tonight. Yes, it is. We've had many great voices. Every great voice. Every podcast. But these stand out. So without any further ado, we got Midori on the line. Oh, my. Midori hasn't been around on the Kinky Cast since way. Well, that's not true. She was on this year's Frolicon. She's on this year's Frolicon. When you sat down with me and we talked about things, but you had a whole episode back uh, in year just after year one. Maybe. That that's been a while. It has been a, a fair piece because we're recording episode two hundred. Yes. Oh, so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Almost four years. Wow. That's dedication. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. And dedication or insanity, one of those. Yeah. And in the days of the internet, four years is ancient. It is absolutely. And to all you listeners out there, you guys should go back and listen to all the awesome episodes because it's like a time capsule of amazingness. And it's all your friends, like Laura. And, oh, my goodness. It goes through all of them. So what have you been into the, for the past uh, couple of years? Keeping busy on the road, teaching, focusing a lot of my intensives. I've also been doing a lot of my artwork, which is a whole separate career field. But, yeah, I've been really busy with the intensives, and that's been really going gangbusters, especially my women's program, Fort FM. You talked about that on the episode, yeah. but uh, but do bring us up to date. Yeah, Fort FM, Women's Dominance Weekend Intensive. It's limited to nine women, and we have a three-day deep dive uh, course that is absolutely unique around uh, tapping into a woman's authentic power and confidence from the bedroom to the boardroom. And it's been filling up, selling out. I do this in New York and San Francisco. And amazing women are coming in. They're leaders of their own field and industry, and and they're coming in to tap into their their creative and erotic power. And they're bringing that in, not just in the bedroom and kinky play, but also in their everyday engaging in authentic leadership and power. Well, that's what it's all about, you know? Yeah. And that is so interesting because the last um, couple of months, I have been uh, watching FET and profiles coming up. I've noticed so many more profiles from these uh, women that are not your typical submissives. 
and they aren't even taking a submissive role. They are strong, confident women that are finding BDSM has a balancing thing for their vanilla day-to-day worlds. It's really interesting, this, this shift. What are you seeing when you have a lot of women attend these seminars? They're coming from all walks of life. That they, they tend to be very well educated and very accomplished in their in their overall life, and they're finding that there's a way by which that they can get past the societal limitation of gender performance that they may have been educated or, or raised in, and finding satisfaction in, in uh, finding their authentic selves and to be able to to engage in creative sexual adventures, become an integrated part of their everyday selves. I've, I've been noticing that a lot of the women are forty, uh, late 30s and 40s. Is that kind of the demographic that you're seeing, or is it more widespread? Well, for Fort FM, yes. For Fort FM, yes, specifically, because it is... Uh, it is three days, and they do need to invest their, their time and energy. So these are people that have spent their time taking a moment to figure out what's important to them. So, yeah, I have attendees. There are some in their 20s, but a lot of people in their 30s, majority uh, 30s, 40s, though we have had uh, one student in her 80s attend. Oh, my. Wow. Yes. Trying, uh, trying to get a hold of her power there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, her her story must have been fascinating. So, yeah, she was awakening to a whole nother level, and she had a new boyfriend. And how exciting, right? Oh, oh I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. I was seeing a comic skit the other day talking about a ninety-four year old woman marrying a ninety-two year old man, and I thought, oh wow, that is so so wonderful. You know, not letting age get in the way. Yeah. So, Midori, you have done rope for a very long time, and your artwork that you do is is beautiful. The picture book that you have of rope. Okay, so when you say my artwork, you might be referring to something different, actually. Okay, well, I, I should say your your rope art. My rope isn't my art. Uh-huh. Rope is, yeah, so I, I want to make that clear distinction. Okay, what is your art? Uh, my, I engage in social practice, and I actually, uh, the, my artwork that I do, ronsheen.com, you'll see my portfolio there. It's a common mistake with folks who may only know me from my teaching work to assume that, that the rope that I teach is my artwork. It's not. It's a pleasure craft, and I'm glad that you think it's artful. I know that other people create art using or consider their rope practice their art, which is great. Great, uh, but it's not my artwork. I'm teaching pleasure craft. I like that choice of word, pleasure craft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I'm making my artwork, I'm engaging in installation art. I'm, I, for example, I, social practice essentially means involving other people in creating my artwork. I just did a TEDx talk this past year oh, around how cool is that? social, wow. yeah, social practice, and and so you'll find that in TEDx. So using the the artist herself as the canvas, if you will. But for example, one of my artwork, it's called The Dining Room. And I invite people to come and break dishes with me. We're talking hundreds and maybe a thousand dishes. (laughs) How cool. With me. 
And then I take those shards and I construct a sculpture. And the shards itself ends up looking like the uh, rug underneath a dining room. And it's very representational of, and it's, it's, visceral and evocative of the drama and trauma in so many people's families of origin. This is a side of you I didn't know about, and so this is fascinating. I've been a practicing artist for, for a couple of decades now, and it's it's very interesting because in the folks that take my, my kink classes make assumptions similar to what you just did. But then people in the art world actually know me for my artwork and my social practice. So, for example, uh, I think three years ago, the San Francisco Asian Art Museum invited me to curate an art experience that's uh, essentially an immersive theatrical experience of bringing a particular Edo period Japanese scroll to life and updating it as an opening night party for one of their major exhibitions. We had uh, 2,500 tickets sold. It was the highest attended event in the 50 years history of the San Francisco Asian Art Museum. So that's the kind of other work I'm doing. Well, you're doing some amazing things, and I just want to thank you for being with us uh, tonight to uh, talk about some of these things that you're doing that I never knew about, and I'm sure many of our listeners hadn't heard about. To get caught up with Midori right now is to follow the links on the homepage, and uh, you have lots of things going on. I I know that you've got uh, quite a number of uh, projects uh, just uh, listed in your links. So uh, we'll have all of those on the uh, the show page. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank it's you. been a real pleasure having you on tonight, and we hope to see you soon at some event. Yes. Hey, Beast. Hey, Woody. We got John Baku on the phone. We finally tracked him down. I, I hear he's in the great north. I hear that, and he's an elusive individual. Something about being very busy, kinking, keeping all of our kinky friends uh, connected. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for calling me and including me on this uh, 200 episode. That's that's a huge accomplishment. It's a biggie for us, and we really appreciate you. You first appeared on the cast back in episode 25, halfway through our first year. And you then reappeared in episode 68. There is plenty to learn about uh, the elusive John Baku on the Kinky Cast uh, episodes. But, you know, it's a, it's kind of a new day out there in the kinky world. FetLife certainly has grown. You're well over 6 million members now? Yeah, uh, I had to look it up today because I had no clue. Uh, we posted a new uh, a job post and FetLife announcement, so I had to look it up and I think it's 6.15 million. Wow. That is quite an accomplishment. And how many countries are you into now? I've never, to be honest, looked that up. I'm sure it's it's hundreds. Maybe not hundreds. Uh, what is there? About 300 countries, 300 something countries in the world? Yeah, I, something I, I, in that range. Definitely over, definitely over 100. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we actually have uh, Kinky Cast listeners in 152 countries. That's amazing. It fries my brain when I look at the um, the numbers. So, and I hear John that you're up to become mayor of Antarctica. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would be good in politics. I probably would enjoy it, but I don't think anybody would vote for me. Well, you certainly have a lot of followers in Antarctica, anyway. 
tell me a little bit about where FetLife is today. You know, there's been some uh, attacks from the, the political sides, and there, there's yeah. been a lot of uphill battles. How are you doing? Internally, as an organization, this is the best year we've ever had, by far. Yeah. Can't beat that with a stick. No. For sure. You know, financially, we're not doing as well as we used to. We lost credit card transactions uh, in January. But from a, a more important perspective, which is just organizational health, consistency, iterating over FetLife, constantly try to improve it, uh, morale, things have never been better. I'm very proud of the team that we put together. Uh, I'm very proud of the leadership team behind FetLife. Uh, I'm very proud of, of everybody on the team. And we're really looking forward to continuing to pump for the next four months of the year because, you know, in four months will be our, our 10-year anniversary. 10 years. Wow. I didn't think about that, but uh, 10 years it is. Yeah. And I think I've only been a member for seven. So but I still Longer than I have. <laughs> <laughs> there are still opportunities for members to pay their membership. Are you doing Bitcoin now? Yeah, there's there's many ways to, to to support us. Bitcoin is definitely one of them. It's not the most popular one. The more popular ones is bank uh, bank transfers. So either ACH in the states, Poly in Australia, SEPA in Europe, Ideal in Netherlands, I think it is, GyroPay in Germany. Um, so we're using alternative payment methods. Um, and it's working really well. But at the end of the day, people are always still would prefer that we offer credit card support, but right now it's, it's just not on the table. Supporting FetLife is a really important thing, and we have been supporters since we started back in day one. And it's really an important thing to support because it is our connecting point for the kinky community at large. Well, thank you. We're not good at, at selling ourselves. <laughs> uh, you know, we've had members for years who didn't even know that we had a support option. So we don't necessarily do the best job at pimping or pushing people to support us. It's really important for us to make an environment where it's uh, we don't do a hard sale, that if people really appreciate the things that we're doing um, and want to support us and feel like they're getting value and benefits out of supporting us, that, that they support us. And what was also extremely important to us is that we, we never want to ask for a lot. So when most you know, especially adult-oriented sites are like $30 a month, $40 a month. We're, we're $30 for six months or, or $5 a month. Um, you know, we always want to like to be. To us, we're always like, you know, what, what's the price of a designer cup of coffee? You know, you go to, mm -hmm. you go to Starbucks, you get a coffee for five bucks. We, we want FetLife to be that same thing. We certainly encourage uh, our listeners to support FetLife. There's great benefits that come along with it such as uh, the video and all that. There's tremendous amount, hundreds, thousands of hours of video that can be watched for a simple membership. Well, how can people support KinkyCast? you got to stop pimping me. Well. How do people support you, you know, guys? There's, there's a big old donate button on our homepage. We have a big, a big button up there. So tell me, John, where are you getting all these hot new people at FetLife is just blowing up with new people, seems like. Where are they all coming from? I have no clue. I ask myself the same question every day. We've never marketed the site ever. You know, it's always been 100% word of mouth, and we've always grown word of mouth. And, and we kind of like it that way. It's, uh, we're very fortunate. What is in the future? Any exciting ideals in the, in the back room being cooked up? Yes. We have our goals um, that we discussed as a team uh, yesterday for the end of the year. We don't comment on product stuff, 
so I can't comment on the on the product goal for the for the rest of the year, but I can comment on on the non-product one, which is we're trying to beef up our caretaking team, which is our support team, and we're looking to hire hopefully three more caretakers by the end of the year. So if anybody's listening from from Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, we're looking for people in in those time zones to join our caretaking team and help the community, especially looking for people who are very passionate about the community and passionate about helping people out. So we have a job posting on FetLife Announcements right now. If you're interested in a job, check it out and please apply. And it's not a volunteer job, it's a paid job. It seems to be a question that people are asking. I see you just uh, hired several people here recently. You know, we, we, we hired somebody just recently. I only think we made one hire this year, though. Listeners, we want to remind you, FET is literally a 24-7 job with people in every corner of the world keeping this machine yeah. running all the time. <laughs> we're very fortunate. We, I think we're only 14 people, 15 people. Uh, for the size of that site, it, that is very small, a small team. But we have compasses five different uh, countries, Canada, United States, Germany, Slovakia, and Hungary. So we're a very multicultural team. We're really great. We're you know, multicultural, diverse team. Well, before we run away, do you have any uh, stunning numbers to give us like you have given us in the past, like the number of uh, hits or things like that? Uh, we could give away my weight. It's pretty stunning. Uh, okay. That, <laughs> there you go. You know, what I was surprised today is is uh, I looked up our Alexa ranking just because we put that information in our job posting to kind of give – because I think a lot of people don't realize – how big FetLife is because we've always designed it. We always, you know, act like it's a small little community. Uh, but so looking at our ranking, which basically says, you know, where are we relative to all the different websites in the world? Um, in the world, we're ranked 1600th largest website in the world, which is pretty huge. You know, your bank or whatever might not even be in the top 1600. And in English speaking countries, we're, we're top, like in the States, I think we're a top 500 website. Uh, same with Canada. So I was pretty shocked to see like how how far we've come and how big we've become. It's it's pretty crazy. Well, I just have to look at my feed every day and know how quickly and how many messages are flying back and forth. I can't oh, yeah. keep up with my feed. It moves fast. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, unfollow me. <laughs> I move a little slower. Thank you so much for bringing FetLife because it is the anchor for the Kinky Cast. We talk to many of our guests through FetLife. You know, I've been a, a member and the Beast has been a member for um, a long time. And it is the community. When people talk about the kinky community, it is FetLife. Well, thank you very much. And, and, and really, thank you guys for doing for doing what you did. 200 episodes is a huge, huge accomplishment. I think I looked up like in the past podcast or blogs and how many of them live past the fifth episode. And the number is not large. I think you're probably one of the very few podcasts out there, relatively speaking, who's been consistent, you know, so that's an amazing accomplishment. And thank you for everything you would do for the community. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon. I'm with Guy Baldwin, a legend that you are. I said that last time and you, you really didn't like me calling you a legend. <laughs> well, I've gotten over myself a lot more since then. <laughs> okay. You've certainly been at this a while since the early days back when you were 18 in Denver and coming out. And that, that was a, a fair piece of go, and the uh, times have changed. <laughs> yes, they most certainly have. The world we live in is unrecognizable. But that really shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, that's uh, 50 years ago, well, 55 years ago, 
And I'm glad the world is different now. I certainly wouldn't want it to be exactly the same all the time. That would get boring pretty quickly, I think. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different world. Same universe, different world. It is. And certainly the gay lifestyle and uh, Leatherman have certainly come a long ways. Well, you know, you started with the original Old Guard back then. Tell me a, a little bit about that. I didn't start with the Old Guard. I, I think of myself as sort of second generation because my mentors were Old Guard. Uh, and about half of them had served uh, in World War II. Uh, and some of those saw combat. So that was a really important background for me to um, have been exposed to at a young age. So there was a, a real military aspect to that. Uh, they came home from the war and they had been changed. War changes everybody, particularly uh, the people who actually see combat or have to make uh, life and death uh, decisions, even if that's from behind a desk. Now, war, war changes uh, everyone and it changes the zeitgeist of uh, the uh, planet, really. Uh, it's inescapable. But, yeah, after after World War II, I don't know how many of your listeners know the story, but after World War II, men were discharged mostly uh, along the coasts, the uh, east and west coast. And uh, many of them who had come particularly from the heartland uh, were so changed that they knew they really couldn't go, you know, back to the farm, as it were. Uh, and so they uh, tended to stay on the coasts. Meanwhile, the army decided to sell all of its motorcycles that had been used primarily in the uh, European theater of war, used for messenger services. So the U.S. government made those available, I think, for $50. Well, a lot of the servicemen had $50 because you don't have a lot of opportunities to spend your money when you're in, you know, theater operations. So for the first time, uh, young men had the opportunity to be truly mobile on their own and independently. They didn't have to rely on a family car. So that was a real liberating nexus, if you want to put it that way. A lot of those guys then uh, started riding with other other soldiers, and that's how the original um, straight motorcycle clubs kind of got started, particularly in California. And of course, the gay soldiers who were not out spotted one another, like we do, and that produced the first gay motorcycle club in 1954, the Satyrs in uh, Southern California in L.A., and that's how the gay motorcycle scene really got started. You know, a lot of people don't know that little detail about how gay leather came about. Well, I don't know that that really qualifies as gay leather yet. Because the guys who were in those motorcycle clubs, they needed a place to hang out before and after their motorcycle adventures out in California's beautiful country. And so they tended to hang out in small neighborhood bars that were originally straight, and that's how leather bars were born. But in the riding world, motorcycle riding world, that was a pretty eclectic bunch. Some of them were kinky. Many of them were not. Uh, they were just motorcycle enthusiasts, and they enjoyed the kind of soldierly camaraderie 
and bonding that had been forged in the fires of war. But once the leather bars existed, one no longer needed to become part of a motorcycle club in order to have access to that crowd. But those were the moments because that occurred in different places in different cities at different times. When um, the riding community began to segregate, the people who were kinky and liked rough sex uh, tended to hang out more and more in those places, of course, because they could meet one another, because that was the only option until 1977. Once Drummer Magazine began to publish classified ads in the back of its magazine, then suddenly there was a possibility for statewide and international contacts. And that was a, a huge step. We had our own publication. In the pre-internet world. Yeah, certainly in the pre-internet world. <laughs> I remember making my own equipment. and went to a Safeway store when I was 19, and there were four leather dog collars, brown leather, and I bought four of those, and I went to a hobby store and bought a leather punch and those were my first restraints. <laughs> Good old Tandy leather back then, huh? Yeah, it was Tandy leather. Yeah. The community has rallied around them. Guy, what's on the horizon for you? What, what are you up to now? Less and less. I think um, every diva needs to know when to leave the stage. And it's that time for me. I'm, um, I'm useful as a, as a kind of storyteller and unqualified historian, if I can put it that way. Well, you've seen a lot of the history, so I guess that would uh, qualify. Yeah, I think so. But I'm um, uh, increasingly off the the circuit. If people want to invite me to their event now, it's going to cost them some money uh, because I live comfortably here in Los Angeles and Hollywood, and uh, it takes a lot to dynamite me out of my cave. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense. The other piece, Woody, is that there are younger people now who are saying, you know, things I said 30 and 40 years ago because the ideas are valid, the concepts are valid, and it's kind of important that younger people articulate those because older people are so easily discounted now. Um, but the same messages are coming from younger voices, and that's a very good thing. So I'm happy to be replaceable. Yeah. Well, you were certainly one of the voices uh, that had seen a lot of it from the beginning. And I want to remind our listeners that episode 66, Guy Baldwin tells his whole story. So I certainly recommend going back and checking that out. Uh, follow the links on the page and it will take you back to that episode. So Guy, I want to thank you for your time today and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Certainly. It's been a pleasure, of course. Thank you. I'm with Dr. Patrick Faircloth. How are you this evening? I'm well, sir. How are you? I am excellent, and thank you for joining us on this special episode. It's a pleasure to be here. Way back when, like two years ago, back in episode 95, you came along and you presented mental health and BDSM. I'm sure a lot of changes have happened in the ensuing time. There have been quite a few changes. Uh, of course, not enough to suit me and probably many of your listeners, uh, but we are making gains. We're gaining ground. A couple of points, if I can, I just want to mention. I work for a, a, a university 
and I'm giving the name for a specific reason. It's Troy University. And back in that older episode, I talked about uh, doing a sexual minorities issues and counseling course. And over the couple of years now, that is now in the catalog under uh, CP 6654, I believe. And so if people are interested in uh, mental health counseling and specifically working with LGBTQQIA2S and BDSM clients and to operate ethically, because we're supposed to have specialized training for working with special populations, they can certainly take that class. And another new development is that it's passed through the governance of faculty. It still has to go all the way up to the chain, you know, the state board and back. But I've been authorized to create a post-master's certificate program in sexual minority issues and counseling, which is a huge deal for me. And as far as I know, it will be the only one of its kind in the southeastern United States. And we're going to try to put uh, most of it online. Uh, So it'll be a hybrid face-to-face plus online. Uh, And so this will open up a lot of opportunities for people to get the proper training. So your listeners that want to get that training can, and then your listeners that want a therapist who's had that training can ask that question, have you had that training through Troy University or through some other university? And then another uh, point uh, that I want to make is I was at um, AlgebraTIC, which I mentioned in the previous broadcast, which is the Association uh, for LGBT Issues and Counseling, at their national conference here last year. And I called for competencies in working with BDSM clients. And the president of the American Counseling Association was present in the room, and she agreed with me that it is time for BDSM issues and BDSM clients to really be on the radar of all counseling professionals. And that may not sound like a lot to a layperson, but for that person in that context to say it is huge for our community and for mental health counselors everywhere, in my opinion. A couple other little points. What I've noticed in the last two years is I'm seeing more and more research, some of which I cited in our previous broadcast, uh, is being developed and worked on. And I'm seeing more and more trainings that offer CEs uh, for working with kinky clients. I've seen some trainings offered in Florida and in Texas and a couple other states. I, of course, every year offer trainings here in Alabama for that. And I've seen two new texts come out recently that can be used as textbooks in college courses that specifically address um, the BDSM world, or as I would call it, the BDSM orientation, uh, as I consider, of course, BDSM to be a sexual minority orientation. And so all these things put together, sort of in a gestalt, I think tell us that the larger world is starting to listen to us as a subculture. And we as a subculture, as I said in the previous broadcast, you know, we really are part of the zeitgeist. We're in films, we're in radio, we're in books, we're in television commercials. And I think that, you know, there's a brighter day ahead. One more thing I would like to add, as I said in the last broadcast, is when we talk about mental health and we talk about um, having a BDSM orientation, I want to consistently and clearly give the message. When we think about the DSM-5, which is our current um, psychiatric book that we're using, as long as whatever you're doing is not causing you a problem in the spheres of your life, is not causing you to stress, is not causing you to you know, brush up against any sort of uh, illegal issues or legal issues, as long as none of those things are true, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that, or could I say absolutely nothing wrong with you. Uh, normally we say normal is uh, sitting on the washing machine in a town in a couple of states. 
But what I would how say true. is what you're doing <laughs> – true, how true? What you're doing is normal. It's within the normal variation of sexual expression and sexual experience. Human exploration also. Yes, also exploration. So anyone attempts to shame you or guilt you, especially if they're a therapist of some kind, don't walk away from them. Run away from them and find yourself a competent professional. Like you, for instance. Yes, sir. I'm not in private practice at the moment. And I think competent professionals in this field are difficult to find still. However, there is you know, hope on the horizon. We just had a class this summer and uh, you know, we graduated seven people out of that class that are or will be out there practicing in the state of Alabama who, in my opinion, are now competent professionals. So you are creating the people that can counsel. We are. Fantastic. That is really great news for our community because it gets pretty lean out there. It does. And, and I know that you know, NCSF uh, has the kinky professional list. But even with that, I, I, I always exercise uh, or tell people to exercise caution. Think about buying a car. You just hopefully wouldn't just buy a car. I'll take it for a test drive. Kick the tires. And remember that you're the customer. If you don't like what you're hearing or if you don't feel that it's working for you, move on to the next car. Same thing for a therapist. You're the customer. If you don't think it's working out for you and a therapist, have that conversation with them. Exhaust the possibilities. And then find someone you think truly can help you. A few years ago, I, I went through that myself. And I found a, a pretty good one on the NCSF forum and uh, it, it did some pretty good stuff, and I got through the issues, and here I am. I'm a better person for it. I agree. I think most people, when they say, okay, I'm making the decision, I'm going to go get some sort of therapy, I'm going to get counseling, oftentimes at the end of it will ask themselves, why did I wait so long? How true again. Dr. Patrick Faircloth, thank you for being back on our show. Again, the original episode was episode 95. And so what are you doing nowadays? What's new in your life? I'm uh, turning in a packet for tenure to see if I will uh, have tenure and promotion at my current university. And I'm, you know, working on a lot of different projects and publications. I will again in November uh, at the Alabama Counseling Association in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I will be presenting a presentation that I've done many times, but I always update the research, uh, you know, with current things we know from the field. Who are these kinky clients and how can we as mental health professionals work with them and help them? Now, this isn't as good as taking a full uh, graduate level course, but at least it is training that is competent and professional training in a workshop environment for mental health counselors who are hoping to expand their knowledge to help members of our community. In closing, I want to mention that you uh, have a facility for kinky people. We do. We have the uh, Southern Pillar Campground. Last time we were on, I said my partner, now my wife, runs the campground. Uh, you can find that just by Googling uh, Southern Pillar Campground. We service folks who would be considered vanilla, but we also have uh, certain weekends that are kink dedicated. And we welcome you to contact us and come visit. We, uh, we have cabins, sleep about 50. It's on 125 acres of secluded land. It's a beautiful place. That is uh, great news. And I said that I would be down there. I haven't yet, but I am going to. I promise. We are looking for you, and we will be happy when you get here. There it is. Dr. Patrick Faircloth, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the cast, our special 200th episode. And everybody interested in this, go listen to episode 95. So much good information there. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're with Hardy Haberman from beautiful Dallas, Texas. 
It has been a while since we have heard from you back in episode 101, so only 99 episodes ago. That's a fair piece, about two years. Yeah. Hardy, you've been around the leather scene for a long time, and you've really uh, plowed some ground out there. So to speak. <laughs> Literally. You're the recipient of quite a number of awards, and uh, and also you you're, uh, are a filmmaker. Uh, yeah, I, I have not done any filmmaking lately. That's sort of one of those... You know, I keep reinventing myself, so uh, uh, that's one of my one of my passions is filmmaking. So, what's the latest incarnation of Hardy? Latest incarnation? Well, it's about to. I'm about to go into my chrysalis stage and be reborn. Uh, I've been working as a marketing uh, specialist, uh, senior marketing specialist for uh, for FedEx, doing their websites and a lot of their online marketing for the last nine years, and I'm retiring from FedEx, and uh, I'm going to be taking a month off and then I'm going to work full time as the as the media director for the Jeffrey Payne for Governor campaign here in Texas. Okay, there you go. So going into politics. Going into politics. I've always been been on the edges and fringes of politics and uh, written about it and and been very politically active, so it's kind of it's kind of one of those, yeah, let's try this. So it's uh, interesting, dare I say a democrat. Oh yeah, Jeffrey's a democrat. Jeffrey's also a former IML winner and uh, uh, the owner of the Dallas Eagle. <laughs> okay, now this is going to be interesting. A nice conservative place like Texas, how's that going to play? Texas is not as conservative as you would think. Okay. Uh, the cities are definitely not as conservative as you would think. That makes sense, yeah. And uh, if we can get the vote out, I think we got a good shot. So that's going to be my job is to help get the vote out and to do all the communication. We've been shooting uh, videos and uh, – we're working on uh, on press releases as we speak. Even though I don't really officially start till till October one, we're already hitting the ground running. So, well, this is a, an amazing thing uh, to swing Ch- Texas a little bit around from where it is. Is going to be a very uh, interesting. Well, it'd be a great job to do if you can pull that one off. You know, it, it really Texas is not that far from swinging. Uh, the legislature has uh, come dangerously close to to going Democratic a couple of times. And uh, the cities, of course, like I said, are, are predominantly Democratic. And I think if we can get people out to vote, uh, the, the state might really look like what the population is. We're one of those states that has a reputation for being loony, and uh, we're hoping to change that. That will be uh, something to see with the upcoming election. Who knows? There could be a White House on your horizon there. Oh, I doubt that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to sit in the governor's mansion and go, with a big cigar and, well, Governor, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah, oh, that would be fun. Well, we have proven that anybody can go into the White House now, so. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, but on to bigger and better things. So what's uh, going on in your leather world? I've been busy traveling, doing a lot more traveling than I thought I would. Uh, I probably do two events a month. Um, next, I'm going to Calgary, Alberta where I'm going to be doing a whole weekend intensive with uh, people up there. We're going to do four classes with the Center for Sex Positive Culture in Calgary. And then I come back to Dallas. Uh, actually, before that I, is uh, ILSB. I'm just attending that. For a change, I'm not judging. I'm not teaching. I'm just going, which is going to be great. Go relax and uh, communicate with the buds. Yeah, I hope. I hope. But, you know, I've got uh, stuff lined up coming up. I'm going to really give preference to the uh, political stuff, and this may be my year to take a year off, but uh, I've got a few events that are going to happen. I'm probably going to end up, uh, again, traveling. <laughs> what is your current titles? My current title? 
You mean like a like a leather title? Yeah, yeah leather title. Oh, I don't have any leather titles. Uh, I've never run for a leather title. I, I've got uh, you know a bunch of honorary titles and, and and stuff that people have given me. I've got the the Jack Stice Memorial Award from from the uh, International Master and Slave people. I got the uh, uh, Leather Leadership Award from the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. I've gotten a Pantheon of Leather Award. I'm up. I'm up for a Pantheon of Leather Award this year. We'll see. I got nominated. A lot of awards that, that I'm, I'm really proud of those because they're based on what I've been doing, you know, and uh, on the work I do. I don't, I don't seek them. They just sort of happen. Well, you've done so much for the community, and it's the gratitude of the community for you, for all the work you do. That humbles me. Trust me. <laughs> it really does. It's a wonderful thing. We really do appreciate the work that you have put out there for so many years and really offered a lot of guidance. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think, uh, you give back what you got. And, uh, a lot of people helped me out along the way and still help me out along the way. And so I try to give back what I can. And I never feel like I'm doing enough, but, uh, my partner tells me you're doing enough. <laughs> That's in like, are you going to be home this weekend? Yeah. Maybe I'd like to see you for a weekend. That's always a challenge. Sometimes we're just built to volunteer and take care of business. I hear from my partner that, um, you know, take a step back. The fact that we put out a cast every week for the last 200 episodes now, that's a challenge in itself, but that is the start of where I volunteer. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work. You, 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 you have a mission. You know, I think in the church they would say you have a ministry, and that's your ministry. You know, and I, and I, and I think we have the same thing going on. Uh, mine is when I go around and speak and, and, and work with people and uh, – it's passion. It's passion. That's the reason we do it. Well, it's who we are down in our soul. But you're not making like a fortune on this, right? Uh, I'm not making a dime. In fact, it, it comes out of my pocket every month. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but on the same token, we haven't pushed advertising. Uh, you know, we have a donate button up there, and anytime somebody wants to uh, send us a little bit to help cover our servers and stuff like that, that that's what cost us. And uh, it's not like we're sitting here in a palatial studio in lovely Music City, USA. Are you in Nashville? Nashville. Oh, okay, okay. okay. For some reason, I kept thinking San Francisco. San Francisco is where I started. Okay. Yeah, but the cast comes out of Music City every week. Good, good. Yeah, I've got I have lots of friends in Nashville. Uh, not, not a lot of kinky friends in Nashville. I have a lot of friends in the music business in Nashville. The leather scene here is very weird and almost invisible. Yeah, that's kind of what I got the impression. Yeah. We're lucky in Dallas to have a, a vibrant leather scene that uh, seems to be thriving. Um, we've got you know quite a bit of activity that goes on. And, uh, um, it, it depends. City by city, it's always different. I remember many years ago when I visited uh, Memphis, the first time I visited Memphis, this is back in the 70s, just finding a gay bar was hard. You, none of them had signs. You just had to know where it was. Mm -hmm. And when you walked in the door, if they didn't know who you were, the whole bar went silent <laughs> until, until you went to the bar and ordered a drink and the, the music started back. I was like, oh, okay, okay. It's okay. It, was, it reminded me of the my early days in Dallas when I first came out in the seven, early 70s and when they were still raiding bars. And it, it seemed very strange that in I think it was 1976, 77, 78, I don't know. I was in Memphis, and it's, it was like a flashback to the 60s. So, But, you know, every city is different. Each city progresses on their own. And the gay scene in the 60s would be a little scary. 
it was different. <laughs> I will tell you that. I remember being in in uh, the first gay bar that I came out in was in an old antebellum house. It was called the Bayou Club, and uh, they had a Sunday dance and beer bust. And at that time, drinking age was eighteen. They had lights that would come on, and when those certain color lights came on, you grabbed the nearest person of the opposite sex and danced with them because at the time it was illegal to dance with somebody of the same sex. Uh-huh. So they, they would do these little raids and they check everybody's ID and you had to be wearing, you know, at least two articles of clothing that matched your gender on your <laughs> license. <laughs> Boy, it's complicated. You know, I, I, uh-huh. I'd get caught somewhere along the line going, what, what am I supposed to have? I don't know. Even back then I was wearing leather and it was like, which was not a leather bar, but, uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about the two articles of male clothing, but it was the regular raids were kind of interesting. At the time, it was just sort of you just sort of put up with it. Well, yeah, that's what it is. Now I look back on it, and I'm appalled by it. <laughs> was it police raids? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. The vice, the vice would come in, yeah. and uh, this is right right around the time of Stonewall, I guess. And uh, I had just put my toes in the water of, of the gay scene. It wasn't until a couple of years later that I started getting politically active with the gay scene, and then. Uh, you know, by 79, I was marching on Washington with the first march on Washington at the Texas contingent, and visiting the Eagle Leather Bar in Washington and all that. So, And you've been busy ever since. Been busy ever since, yeah. <laughs> well, Hardy, thank you for being with us on our 200th episode. I want to remind everybody to go back and listen to Hardy's episode at 101 or just uh, go to our search engine on our homepage and uh, type Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, and it will take you uh, right over to uh, his episode. We look forward to hearing back and uh, seeing how uh, the uh, political race is coming along here in a little bit. I will let you know. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm with Emmy Kamawati on the phone here from lovely Nashville. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. You know, when your show was on back in episode 127, we had some controversial subjects. Um, I say that in, in a certain way because some people kind of didn't believe <laughs> that you can talk to kids about sex. I know. <laughs> I, I guess you hear this well, a lot. In my world. Yeah. So, but it's so important that kids know what body parts are actually called instead of all the euphemisms that we've been taught. Yeah, very. I have told so many people about these books that you recommend. And so let's give a gist of, of what the episode was about. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, we talked about the fact that um, it's really important to talk to children and to start early. That's really the key. It seems that, you know, most people kind of buy the fact that you need to talk to kids about this. You know, it, it kind of makes sense when they hit puberty or they um, or even afterwards, you know, or when they're teens. Yeah, by the but time they're 30. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. maybe. 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 Yeah. <laughs> we don't think to really talk about this beforehand. And I liken it to how we teach children about how to walk and how to be in the world. We start that when they're really young. And because we know that those skills build and they build upon each other. And we can't teach one thing before teaching the other. Uh, I think I did the, the math analogy, which is you can't teach calculus unless you taught, you know, arithmetic first. But basically, the way that we generally tend to think of for children is we just rush straight to algebra 
we think none of the other stuff matters or that it's even important. And so that's really the key is starting early, starting often. Um, because, and I just did a recent video on my, uh, I have a group on Facebook called Raising Sexually Healthy Children. And I just did a video on it about, I, I think people think these conversations are optional, you know, because basically you can live as a sexually unhealthy person, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah. if you have crappy sex or you don't have sex or it's not good, you know, it's not going to kill you. Or you pick up your skills like a lot of people in the gutter. Right. Or if you're, <laughs> yeah, so many other places. And so, you know, so we think this is icing, like sexual health is icing when in fact it's not, but we tend to look at it that way. And so we leave it, you know, sometimes it doesn't even make it on the list in particular for parents and caregivers because we're tired. We're dealing with a lot of stuff, right? And sometimes we don't deal with this until we have to. Like, unfortunately, if there's something really bad that happens, then we think we have to deal with it. Then there's society. You know, don't ever tell a child anything about sex ever. And of course, what is a child? How old is a child? Is 18 the appropriate time? Hell no. 18. By 18, they're fully functioning sexually. Yeah. Yeah. That's 18 years too late, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, starting young and teaching kids the actual name, a penis is a penis. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's just that's just an it's just another body part like any other body part. And the thing that I run into very often with parents and, and adults is this idea of innocence. You know, people don't want to take away children's innocence. And what they actually mean when they're saying that is they don't want their children to have information. And what that is called is ignorance. It's also power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't want children to have power. That's for sure. <laughs> what I ask parents and adults to do is to look at it differently. This is not innocence. Children having information and feeling empowered is, is, is about that exactly. Innocence is being free of negative, hurtful, traumatic experiences in the world. That's what innocence is. It's not ignorance. And so, but I think that most of the issue around this is people's own difficulty coming to terms with their own sexuality, much less being able to acknowledge that their children are sexual beings who will eventually be sexual at some point, you know, most likely. So that those are some of the things that I encounter. Well, one of the things that I've observed, uh, I spent a lot of time living uh, in Europe, and the whole idea that sex is dirty doesn't seem to exist there. No, it really doesn't. I mean, they have their problems, you know, like everybody. Sure. Actually, in the field of sexuality education, we've actually studied a lot of the European models in terms of how they deal with sexuality, in particular teens. And they really see see it as a developmental milestone. They expect that teens will be sexually active. They see a progression of their behaviors. Okay, so this is where they are. So this is what we're going to give them in order to make sure that they can do it as healthy and as well as possible. That's how they that's how they deal with it, which is how we should all deal with it, because that's the truth. Um, and we can't put our heads in the ground, you know, and just make like, oh, I don't see it. I don't see it. So it doesn't exist. Okay. And then we end up with the society that we have now, which is 
the highest rate of, you know, teen pregnancies in the industrialized world, very high rates of sexually transmitted infections, uh, unhealthy relationships, high rates of sexual assault and rape and sexual sexual abuse. So that's what we end up when we put our heads, you know, in the ground. And I just don't think that's acceptable. It goes back to psychology 101. If you make something secret and dirty, then it's yep. going to be the gem that everybody has to go find and, and seek out. As opposed right. to if it's just a matter of fact, yes, your body parts are there and there they are. It takes away the mystique of it. You know, as soon as somebody says you can't have this, then you have to have it. Right. And and more than more than taking away the mystique of it, I think it's it's about empowerment. You know, the problems we see with teens and adults in terms of act, sexually acting out behavior it's not with the kids who got a lot of information and got a lot of really good sex ed and their parents talked to them and they could talk to their parents and, you know, everything was hunky dory. That's, those aren't the people that we see with problems. It's the people who were either uh, uh, made to feel ashamed, made to feel guilty, made to repress any feelings or any attractions that they may have had, any kinks that might have shown up early on in their life. It's the shame and guilt is what creates a lot of the problems. It's not the information and education. And so if I can get anything across to people, I would love to get that across to them. Well, it's certainly a good information. So let's recap a little bit. Now, you've got even more websites than you had before that you want to <laughs> get out to the listeners. So on our show page, definitely go and check out the links. Just go ahead and tell us the links that we need to know about. Yeah. Well, so one of the things I've created in between when we talked and now, uh, I've actually created an online class called Seven Essential Tools for Raising Sexually Healthy Children. And it's a 75-minute course that's broken up into eight videos. The videos vary from 10 minutes to three minutes. And basically, you get a framework for how to think about these things. You get some scripts on what to say in certain situations. And you get a library of resources you get access to me in my group, the Raising Sexually Healthy Children group, uh, which is basically kind of like having a sexuality educator in your back pocket or wherever you keep your phone. <laughs> I would love to invite your listeners to do that, especially for your listeners. They can do a 20% off discount uh, with the code FRIEND, all in caps. So I guess you can put that in the link. I, I will add that to the link also, and but everybody heard it here first. We have grown uh, our meetup group, which is called Sex Positive Nashville, which is part of the Sex Positive World meetup that started out in Portland. And uh, we're putting on a lot of great educational and some play events. We're, start, we're, we're, we're growing into that. Uh, so if you're here in Nashville, uh, feel free to check us out at Sex Positive Nashville. And there's, and there's more groups around the country that are related? They might be up to 10 chapters around the world and around the country. I'm not 100% positive. But if you just look up Sex Positive World, um, that, that can give you information. Fantastic information. Yeah. And then if you have any professional groups, if you're local here to Nashville, uh, we have an organization called Nashville Alliance for Sexual Health in which we put on events and educational opportunities for professionals in the sexual health field. But look up any folks in your area who are ASECT certified. And those folks will generally be putting on either educational events or their sex therapists who really know their stuff. So ASECT is A-A-S-E-C-T dot org. And you can find educational opportunities there as well. Great. That will be on the webpage. Check it out. 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> Emmy, thank you so much for being with us today. This is a special episode for us, and it, it's jam-packed full of information. I'm sure it is. Thank you so much for your work, and congratulations. Thank you so much, and you're a great contributor to it. Thank you. Well, Beast, as we wrap this one up, I want to thank our listeners for hanging around for the last 200 episodes. I want to thank our guests for this episode, too. Absolutely. And I want to thank all of our guests that have been on the shows for over the last uh, almost four years now. Almost. Almost. And soon we will be the fourth year episode will come up. So we, we're going to keep on trucking along. We're having fun doing it. And our listeners, we, we thank you for uh, tuning in every week, every Friday, a fresh show. And we've never had a rerun. But Woody, we keep on knocking them out of the ballpark. Well, it's it's fun. Uh, you know, we get to talk to people all over the world. Yes, we do. And we've had some great voices. And we got some great voices coming up. You know, between us, we have almost 50 years of experience, but I learned something new on every episode. Yes, and we got 200 more in us. There we go. Let's get it done. So with that said, see you next week. You have been listening to episode 200 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present BDSM Nightmares. Don't miss this controversial show. Controversial show.